You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 43, Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways Story Review. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. You're fantastic. And you know what? What? So am I. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, brother? Oh, man, it's <laughs> been... This has been an episode long time coming, I think. You know, we've... Obviously, we've just gotten into the the modern series, and then I think, obviously, Dalek was quite the episode. We talked ad nauseum about that last time. We talked longer than I thought, because it was a shorter episode, story-wise, so we actually talked about it longer than I thought we would. Yeah, but this is like the return of the Daleks, basically, <laughs> you know? And we'll talk about how that's good or bad or weird or what um, as we get into that. And this is actually the first time that we get to see them in mass. Yeah. Since what was it? The the, the third Doctor. And that was basically uh, from a really long distance away and done, what, with models or toys or something? Yeah. Yeah. We get, like, strike parties and that sort of thing. Yeah. Mainly because they can't afford to build hundreds and hundreds of Daleks. (laughs) <laughs> but that is neither here nor there. 
I don't think there's too much news or anything out there that we need to talk about right now. Did you have anything that you wanted to talk about real quick before we jump to this? Uh, we've got a video on our Facebook page uh, where Pearl Mackie was celebrating her first day on on-site filming. But uh, you know, you can go yep. find that at uh, at Talking Time Lords page on Facebook. So yes, or any. Where that BBC is putting their social media stuff as well. It's we want them to go to our page, right? Well, yes, of course. <laughs> if you're listening to our show, you should go on our page. But, but yes, uh, I don't remember if we said this officially last episode or not, uh, so we'll say it here. Series 10 has officially begun filming, and we're so excited. So, yes, extremely. Uh, we'll see. I think what we're going to do is we'll talk about official releases that come out of BBC about Series 10. There will be tons of spoilers and rumors out there. We may address some of that, but I don't think a lot of it, because honestly, I don't seek those things out. They just sort of come my way sometimes. Well, rumors are one thing. Spoilers are something else. Right. We may talk about some rumors, especially if it's, well, something big that is getting a lot of traction out there, but spoilers I think we'll stay away from as we move forward towards the impending and eventual airing of series 10 so right now i just want the christmas episode you know right (laughs) anything you know (laughs) something (laughs) just give me you know 30 minutes of sonic screwdriver you know it's bad when you have to wait longer for a new episode of doctor who than you do for the next star wars movie yes (laughs) yes which is coming in less than six months now, and I am so flippant. This might it. be the first time in history that that's actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, enough about that. Let, let's go ahead and, and dive into Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways. Of course, folks, spoilers abound. Spoilers. These episodes were both written by Russell T. Davies and directed by Joe Ahern. Um, I hope I pronounced that right. And the original air date was the 11th of June and the 18th of June, 2005. Of course, the final two episodes of Series 1 of the new series of Doctor Who. You didn't watch these as they came out. You watched them in the lead-up to Series 2, correct? Correct. I watched them... Because they re-aired all of these episodes before Series 2 came out. And and the thing about that was that I think that might have actually been the first time that they were shown in America. Okay. Um, And so I I don't recall whether or not that it had shown in America once before. But I do know when I watched them, they came on uh, the Sci-Fi Channel. And there was maybe, I want to say maybe a two-month gap something like that between season one and season two of the new series when it came out. I could, I could probably Google it and get a little bit better numbers, but you know, Hey, it doesn't really matter. Right. Right. Uh, before we get into the details, overall thoughts on this two parter, the feels got to me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but the feels got to me. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm the, Big, burly, bearded... Blubbering type. (laughs) Blubbering type, you know. (laughs) 
that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I, I enjoy these episodes. Um, not quite sure where they rank in terms of favorites. Uh, they're not my favorites from Christopher Eccleston's run. I would say, uh, The Empty Child and Dr. Dances are probably my favorites from Christopher Eccleston's run. But, you know, these are definitely incredibly important episodes. And if you're watching the new series, kind of essential watching. So you really get the full effect of the Doctor and Rose's relationship and where that goes with Tenet. Let's go ahead and jump into the specifics. The episode starts off rather bizarrely, uh, for, which is saying something for Doctor Who. The Doctor, Rose, and Captain Jack, who was traveling with them at the time, all show up unexpectedly in TV shows as contestants. The Doctor finds himself big brother and i forget what number it is it's like you know five thousand and something i think <laughs> rose finds herself on the weakest link with the android who's yes. of course based off of i believe ann robinson is her name the uh, android yes <laughs> and captain jack finds himself in a what not to wear <laughs> sort of <laughs> spin-off it's it's a what not to wear extreme edition <laughs> type <laughs> <laughs> and while they're all sort of trying to figure out how they got there and what exactly is going on, uh, they've been noticed. We've got these people up in the control booths going, they just showed up. I don't know what's going on. How did this happen? And they're trying to figure that out. At the same time, the Doctor Rose and Captain Jack are trying to figure out what's going on. Although Captain Jack seems less concerned about what's going on than the Doctor Rose, because um, <laughs> he's having fun with the defabricator on national television. <laughs> he's he's having fun being naked on TV. Yes. Well, <laughs> well just not beat around the bush there. <laughs> now, the unfortunate thing about these game shows that the Doctor and Rose do not realize until it is too late for somebody is that when you're eliminated from the game, that's a very literal term for what happens. You are eliminated, exterminated, evicted from life. <laughs> You die. Yeah. And, of course, both Doctor and Rose are horrified by this. Obviously, on the, the Big Brother house, uh, someone was voted off the house, and the Doctor watched her be uh, dematerialized, and uh, Rose is having a hoot on Weakest Link. <laughs> and when they vote somebody off, it's the person right next to her that she voted for, and yeah. she gets, you know, dematerialized. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> and turns into dust right next to her, and that puts a damper on Rose's attitude real fast. Yeah, it, she felt extremely guilty for having voted for that person at that point. Yes. <laughs> and the, uh, the funny thing for me was the way the doctor was behaving about the whole elimination process. You know, he, he was literally acting like he was bored. He's like, what are you guys freaking out about? She's just leaving and going home, you know? Right. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, this beam of light comes down from the ceiling and zaps this, this lady in the head, and she just goes poof. Right. And the look on his face changed dramatically, and he's like, what was that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> One thing we should note is one of the characters the Doctor runs into on the Big Brother house is Linda with a Y, and uh, she's a very sweet, which is what the Doctor tells her when she asks what people think of her on the show. And she's a very nice person. She's, you know, concerned about the Doctor and everything, but doesn't quite understand what, she, um, you know... 
she reminded me a bit of Joe. That's so, a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good connection. She she does have a bit of a of a Joe vibe. Joe Grant for those of you third Doctor fans out there. She reminded um, me a little bit of Joe, uh, which you know was a good thing for me. I thought she was a really cool character. The the other character from one of the shows that we should probably just mention real quick is Roderick from The Weakest Link, who is decided that Rose is terrible at The Weakest Link and is trying to strategically keep her in as long as possible so that in the final round, it comes down to the two of them and <laughs> and he can win. Did you catch the connection to some of the Doctor Who lore in that? Uh, of course, this was before the movie came out, okay? But this is the actor who played Ford Prefect in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was written by um, Douglas, uh, Adams? Douglas Adams, who used to write for Doctor Who. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, there was like a cyclical connection there. there we go. I, I thought that was pretty cool, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the other things that we find out through The Weakest Link is that it's all being funded by the Bad Wolf Network. And Rose is like, wait, what? The Bad what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the Bad Wolf Corporation, excuse me, not Bad Wolf Network. And the interesting thing about this is that that name has been showing up all season long. Yes. Everywhere, including spray-painted on the side of the TARDIS at one point. Yes. Yeah, and people are starting to go, wait, this is a thing. Because we've gotten to the point where when it comes up, you hear the the music, the music, you know, with the, the lady singing. And so you're going, oh, this is a thing. And then when we start seeing it here, you're like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? The doctor finds a way to get out of the Big Brother house uh, by damaging property, and he's going to be evicted. But somebody wanted him there, and so he deduces that he will not be disintegrated because somebody brought him there for a reason. And so when he steps out to be evicted, the disintegrator beam doesn't do its thing, and he starts opening the door on the other side of the disintegrator room, and invites Linda with a Y to come with him. When he when he asks if she wants to leave, she's like, but it's not allowed. When he goes, Linda, you're sweet. From what I've seen <laughs> of your world, do you think people really vote for sweet? <laughs> and then she was like, I think I'm going with you. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty, much. Pretty much. And then, of course, they step out, and he finds himself on Satellite 5, which is where they were back right after uh, the last episode we talked about, Dalek, uh, with the long game and the news station and how it was being manipulated by the Jagrafess. And I'm not yeah. going to try and say the rest of that. And um, here's the crazy part about the title of the long game. You don't really understand what it means when you watch it in order until, <laughs> until you, you get, get here. here. <laughs> exactly. This I found interesting because when they finally got out and he discovered where they were, mm-hmm. he said, oh, I've been here before. Something's not right. Yes. <laughs> and she, he starts describing the situation and reveals to her, I don't even think he did it intentionally, reveals to her that the last time he was there was 100 years ago. Yeah. And so then she's looking at him and saying, are you serious? You were here 100 years ago? How is that even possible? Right. You know, and he sort of reveals just enough information to intrigue her. Mm-hmm. And so then she says, so maybe I could go with you when you leave. Right. <laughs> and the grin on his face is very distinct. And he says, maybe you could, you know? And so you're thinking at this point in the story, Hmm, new companion, 
you know. Right. We could have a new companion come out. <laughs> Which I think is one of the reasons why she mirrors Joe as much as what she does in her sweetness and whatnot, you know. Mm. But the Doctor is trying to figure out who runs Satellite 5 now, which is now the game station. And Linda runs over, hits light switch, and, you know, Bad Wolf Corporation is, you know, lit up in big, bold letters on the wall. And, you know, she says, your lord and masters. It's like, oh, that's not a good thing. (laughs) Because he's noticed it, too. Yeah. It's been there a while. Jack has had several outfit changes and is enjoying (laughs) being the center of attention and keeps finding some reason why he doesn't like the outfit so that he can be naked on television again. (laughs) The funny thing about it, though, that I noticed was he ended up settling for what was almost an updated version to uh, Han Solo's classic outfit, you know? (laughs) Pretty much. He looks like Han Solo, except with with a a white t-shirt rather than the... uh, the white long sleeve shirt that Hans got. Anyways, uh, <laughs> this is when the two robot game show hosts get deadly and they want to start doing extreme things. They want the face off. Like I go against somebody? No. Face <laughs> off. Chainsaw uh, arm comes out. <laughs> yep. You know, I think we should put a dog's head on you. Or no head at all. That would be great. We can attach your legs to your chest. That would be awesome. Yeah, that's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when yeah. Jack pulls a you know tiny little laser out of somewhere. <laughs> Remember, he's naked on television, folks. Where and did I you get that from? Really you don't, don't want to know. know. <laughs> Thanks for that, Jack. <laughs> and then he shoots the two of them, dresses himself in what he wants to wear, and reconfigures the defabricator into some sort of weapon, and heads out looking for the doctor. Upstairs... The two programmers that have noticed the issues with the Doctor and Rose and how they just sort of mysteriously appeared are trying to track down what's going on. And so they try to go look in Archive 6 where the transmat logs are kept to see who authorized them and where they were coming from. However, to get to Archive 6, you have to go through a room where the controller is. And the controller is a young woman who's basically plugged into the station. Everything yeah. runs through her. Uh, she's monitoring all transmissions, and everything is run through her before it's transmitted out to This the is world. where, visually, this is where I saw the parallels that I had mentioned back when we were talking about our second Doctor episodes with the Daleks when we first saw the Dalek Emperor with mm-hmm. the second Doctor. And we saw all of the, the tubes and the hoses and the wires and everything attached to him. This was very reminiscent of that visually. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was a really nice visual callback, I think, to, to that. And that's something that I can really appreciate about the new uh, Doctor Who series is the, the respect and the care that they put into paying homage to what came before. Right. And uh, it's... It's different enough to go, you know, say, that looks familiar, but not quite place it. Right. Especially since Evil of the Daleks, uh, where we see the Dalek Emperor with the second Doctor is, you know, a a missing story, basically. But there are pictures out there. But you're like, this doesn't look right. It's very unnerving. Yeah. The, The male programmer tries to distract her by informing her that there are contestants that are outside of the games and they're wandering around the station. The controller says they are no one, and to continue working, 
while the female programmer tries to get into Archive 6, and she is denied access by the controller, saying that Archive 6 is out of bounds, and basically silences all discussion on the matter by returning to warning the station about impending solar flares. Yeah. And the programmers just look at each other and go, something's going on here. And you're not sure you like the controller <laughs> at this point. And you're like, I don't think I should trust her. Well, um, it's it's very much one of those human computer, biological computer situations where, yeah. you know, they have turned somebody into a living, breathing computer. Right. Because the most powerful supercomputer in the world is what's inside your noggin. And I mean that literally. It's your brain's more powerful than a supercomputer. Anyways, Jack has tracked down the doctor and Linda with a Y. Of course, you know, he says hello, which is the same as flirting, according <laughs> to the doctor. Stop flirting. I'm only saying hello to you that's flirting. The, same <laughs> the doctor learns a little bit more about what's going on with Earth in relation to Satellite 5, now the game station. When he took down the Jagrafess and all the news stopped, you know, for that period of time. The doctor left assuming that the right people would get it back up and running and things would return to normal. Yeah. That didn't happen. According to Linda, with a Y. You like saying that, don't you? I do. I do. <laughs> Everything just stopped. The whole planet froze. Society collapsed. The... Governments stopped functioning because they didn't get the news. The economy crashed because nothing was coming through. And everything just sort of stopped. And now the the Earth is covered in this swirling gray pollution. Uh, there's a great Atlantic um, smokestorm that's been going for 20 years. You know, that sort of thing. And they get news alerts when it's safe to go outside and breathe. The yeah. real air. Um, <laughs> we get news alerts of when it's safe to breathe outside. And, uh, really? <laughs> and so with everyone basically shuttered up inside, they came up with, you know, all the these various games and everything. There's 10,000 channels, I think is what she said. And there's hundreds and hundreds of games and the games are mandatory everyone on earth is you know eligible to be a, a part of the game what was that the doctor said to her he said something to the effect of everyone's either unnaturally skinny or unnaturally fat and all you ever do is sit around all day and watch telly is right. that right you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the transmissions pick people up at random for these yeah. games you can be going about your daily business you know sitting at the table eating breakfast with the family and all of a sudden bzz, you're up in a game just as simple as that. and it's Wasn't just, this the first time that we had seen Transmat since the Classic Series? I think so. They were all over the place during the Classic Series. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to see that sort of technology return. I'm not surprised it did. But the Doctor and Jack, as they're trying to access the computer system and find Rose, discover that there is so much power being generated by the station that it's more than just a, enough power to uh, broadcast all the right. transmissions, this, there's something else. Well, not only that, he also said that the transmat that pulled them in there had to be so powerful that it was almost beyond measure because it was able to penetrate the TARDIS. Right. It pulled him, Rose, and Jack out of the TARDIS while they were traveling. And that is like the first indicator that he had that 
we were brought here for a reason. This was not an accidental thing, you know. Right. The Dr. Jack and Linda with a Y figure out where Rose is, and they are riding the lift to the weakest link. And unfortunately, the final round does not go well for Rose. Each of the contestants, Rose and Roderick, are asked five questions. Roderick answers two of them correctly, and Rose answers one correctly. She got the face of Bo. Interestingly enough. Interestingly <laughs> enough, yes. Hmm. Considering that she... Well, we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> Considering who the face of Bo actually is. And how he got that way. <laughs> As the android is congratulating Roderick on his win and getting ready to tell Rose that you are the biggest link. Goodbye. In Zap, the doctor... Jack and Linda rush in, and as they're running across the room, Rose starts running to them to warn them about the android, and Rose gets zapped in the back, turning to dust right in front of the doctor. Yeah. And see, this is where, going back and watching it again, where I realized where they were going with the story, because uh, you never really truly pick up on how this how this is planned out in the writing Mm -hmm. when you're watching it the first time because you're just kind of engrossed in the story, right? Right. But when you go back... What? Did they just kill Rose? Yes. And when you go back and watch this again, you see how they've planted these seeds to lead everything up to this assumption, right? Because they've introduced you to Linda with a Y, and they've talked about her traveling with the Doctor, and they've brought you up to this point where you suddenly see Rose get dematerialized, and you're like... Okay, so I guess we're changing companions on this episode. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the doctor just goes numb with shock, though. Yeah. He stops reacting. Jack takes the complete opposite reaction and starts waving his gun around and threatening Roderick and the floor manager, and uh, has to be threatened yeah. with the doctor's murder by a guard before he drops his weapon. And the three of them are carted off to a cell where they are questioned and processed. Of course, Jack defiantly says nothing. The doctor seems to still be numb from shock and doesn't answer anything. And Linda doesn't know enough to say anything. She's just concerned and scared. However, as they are going to be transported out of their cell to a lunar penal colony... Hmm. hmm. Wonder where we've seen that before. Third Doctor much? Um, yeah. We haven't talked about that episode very much, but that's that's in conjunction with Planet of the Daleks. Um, and I forget forget the name of that, but that's a Master episode. Yeah. We'll talk about that when we talk about the Master. Exactly. But we've seen that <laughs> because we wanted to know if there was anything that we needed to take from that for our Planet of the Daleks episode. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> the Doctor, as the, the gate opens and the guards start to get everybody out, the Doctor's head jerks up, looks at Jack and says, let's do it. And they knock out the two guards, grab all their stuff, and take off to the lift, heading up to floor 500. In the control room, the programmers go, oh crap. This is bad because they've been watching everything that's been going on and tracking the doctor, Jack and Rose throughout their entire time being there. And so they know what's happened. And with the doctor pissed off and heading up to floor 500, they know this can't end well. And the doctor is carrying the cannon. Yes. So, and yeah. Jack, Jack and where playing. have we seen this before? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Fifth doctor and Davros much? 
Not only that, we saw it on the last episode that we reviewed. Mm, that is true. <laughs> doctor with a cannon. Yeah. Kablooey. Um, anyways, the doctor and his companions burst out of the lift on the 500th floor and immediately take control of the room. The programmers are trying to, you know, calm the doctor down and say, we don't have anything to really do with this. We're trying to figure it out ourselves. And says, talk to the controller. But she can't hear you because she's busy having all the transmissions from the station running through her head. (laughs) Jack has been tracking something on his little scanner and determines something is an Archive 6. He goes over to open Archive 6 and the female programmer says, hey, you can't go in there. It's out of bounds. He brandishes the two guns that he took from the guards and says, Do I look like I'm an out-of-bounds kind of guy? He opens it anyway. <laughs> Inside Archive 6, which is basically a very stark white wall with what I'm assuming are, you know, files being stored inside the drawers in the wall or something, which is also very reminiscent of the classic TARDIS console room, I thought, mm-hmm. just the look of it, sits the TARDIS itself. But without the roundels. Right. It doesn't have the roundels. It does have white lights on it, but is they're not round. But the TARDIS is in the room. I guess the TARDIS got archived in Archive 6. <laughs> um, Jack goes inside the TARDIS and activates the console, trying to figure out what exactly is going on. The solar flare that the controller has been warning everybody out finally hits. Uh, static floods the screens, blocking the transmissions, and, you know, according to the programmer, Earth gets a couple reruns until the solar flares die down. The controller starts asking for the doctor and reveals that she brought him there, hiding him inside the games so that he could find her and hiding him from her masters. And she says that she cannot tell the doctor who the masters are because she's been genetically altered to be unable to say their name. Her masters have been hiding shaping the earth for centuries and growing stronger in numbers. But one thing she does know is that they fear the doctor. As the flare passes, Jack returns, tells the doctor that the TARDIS worked out that the disintegrations were actually part of a secondary transmat system. People haven't been died. They've been transported elsewhere. So Rose is still alive. However, uh, the solar flare passes. The controller is back to being transmitted through. And the doctor is left trying to figure out where the secondary transmat system is being sent. And right around in this point in time, the doctor makes mention of, I can't believe you people have just gone along with this and allowed this to happen. And one of the programmers says, it's not our fault. We were just doing our jobs. And the doctor says, you have just lost your right to even speak to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, which is a what that to me sounded almost like something like the sixth doctor would say. (laughs) (laughs) You have just lost your right to even speak to me. Right. You know, this is when the episode cuts to Rose, who is waking up on the floor of an alien spaceship. And it's very familiar looking. It's very familiar looking and very familiar sounding. Mm -hmm. If you pay attention to that, she sees one of the aliens heading towards her. And she bags up against the wall, surprised, saying that it can't be there. Back in the station, the controller finally is able to give one final act of defiance and gives the doctor the coordinates for where the secondary transmat is being sent. Of course, whoever her masters are are monitoring what she's doing and immediately transmat her away. Yeah. She ends up on the alien spaceship and she says, 
you can kill me now, for I have brought about your destruction. I thought that was really cool. She is so excited for what she has done. So happy that her plan has come together. And we don't see who the alien is yet, but we're pretty sure we know because she gets zapped and we see her skeleton and she falls down. Yeah, which was a really cool shot, too. (laughs) Yes. The doctor, Jack, and the programmers figure out where everybody's been transmitted to, but the screen just shows empty space. They realize that the satellite is transmitting a signal, shielding people from seeing what's actually there. Doctor makes a few adjustments, and oh crap, there is a fleet of Dalek warships. Not just one, a fleet. Yeah, he does the math, and it comes out to something like, uh, what was it, a half a million? Half a million Daleks. Yeah. Oh, that's not good. No. Of course, immediately upon this, the Daleks open up communications with the Doctor, ordering him to not intervene and to obey them, or Rose dies. And we get one of the great back and forths between the Ninth Doctor and the Daleks. He just says no. Explain this negative. I said no. But she will die. No. And the doctor says, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to rescue Rose, (laughs) save the Earth, and get rid of you once and for all. Yeah. But you don't have any weapons, defenses, or plan. And doesn't that just scare you to death? Yeah. (laughs) That's probably one of my favorite scenes with Christopher Eccleston. And it's referenced back to by Matt Smith in his Pandorka speech, where he talks about not having any weapons or any plan worth a damn, uh, you know, (laughs) to let somebody else try first. Yeah. And that's basically where the episode ends, as the Doctor says he's on his way, and the Daleks start scrambling to exterminate, exterminate, exterminate. And, you know, we go to parting of the ways. I really like the way the Daleks looked in this episode. I thought that the classic bronze color was really nice. Of course, we saw the bronze color in Dalek, you know, but... To me, it stood out even more once you saw them in their ship and got to see them kind of, I guess you'd say, in more of their natural habitat, you know? Yeah. Uh, I just, I really liked the way that that the visuals and everything tied it all together, and it just, it really looked, I wouldn't say it really looked real world to me, Mm -hmm. and it really felt natural, like that would kind of be the next stage of progression for the Daleks. Yeah. It is a neat look. I do like it. And it's sort of the standard look that we get for the Daleks for the new series, uh, which I'm, I'm okay with. In the TARDIS, the Doctor and Jack are hurtling towards the Dalek command ship, which is where Rose is being held. And they end up materializing the TARDIS around her and the Dalek guarding her. As the Dalek realizes where he is, he fires off a shot towards the Doctor, leaving it open for Captain Jack to use his juiced up defabricator gun on the Dalek to blast it to bits, but saying that now the gun is completely useless. It was a one-time shot. He overpowered it, and now it's not usable anymore. Oops. After a quick, you know, reunion, the Doctor says, well, the Daleks have all the answers, so let's go out and get them. And he steps outside, and thankfully, Captain Jack has rigged up a force field using the uh, extrapolator. Well, the indicator that we got was that he had repaired the force field that was there before in the classic series because we saw the force field back with the first Doctor, you know, when the Daleks were trying to shoot the TARDIS. And uh, so this kind of indicated that he had repaired the pre-existing force field that had been there in the past. Right. Much the Daleks' chagrin, their, their laser blasts are having no effect on them. The Doctor taunts the Daleks and then asks, how did you survive? They survived through me. 
is the voice that comes to him. It's yeah. a larger, lower voice coming from the Dalek Emperor, who's got a <laughs> new look. You, you um, kind of get the impression that this is the new Dalek Emperor and not yeah. the one, because the one we saw with the second Doctor, we know he died. Right, right. Um, and we've seen, what, I think one Dalek Emperor since then, if I'm not mistaken? I think so. We, we've seen, um, uh, the Dalek Emperor, I'm sure, is a uh, title that is passed yeah. on, you know, once the Dalek either dies or is killed. This is the current Dalek Emperor, and he is the Dalek Emperor because he claims to have been the sole survivor of the time war because his ship, well, his ship is because it fell through time crippled, but alive. And the surviving Daleks have spent centuries hiding in the dark space, rebuilding, infiltrating earth systems, harvesting humans and converting the genetic material into an army of Daleks. Uh, So the indicator that you get is this Dalek along with the, previous Dalek that we saw both kind of transported through time at the same time and they just ended up in different situations. Right. You know, and the the, the vibe that I got was that this Dalek just kind of declared himself and, to be the Emperor. Yeah, exactly. You know. Exactly. Rose is kind of disgusted by this because essentially these Daleks are now half human. That was the wrong thing for her to say because the Daleks all chorus that that is blasphemy and do not blaspheme. And this makes the Doctor really confused and kind of concerned. And the Dalek Emperor begins to talk very loftily, which is something unusual for Daleks to even do, saying things like, I reached into the dirt and made new life, and then ultimately declares that he is the god of all Daleks and insists that only one cell in a billion that was taken from human genetic material was fit to be nurtured, and that this manipulation resulted in pure and blessed Dalek. If you think about this, too, the situation that we have here with what he's done with this human genetic material, Mm -hmm. uh, or human tissue, (laughs) uh, with, uh, with that is basically the same scenario that you're seeing with the Sixth Doctor in Davros, except instead of him using the human tissue and the human genetic material to make the, how would you say, the uh, genetically modified uh, material that he had used to make his classic Daleks, where he actually went in and changed it to make it you know, what his classic Daleks were. Mm-hmm. This this Dalek has basically done the same thing, but using a completely different method. And the interesting thing about it is, um, when you see the first Dalek get, for lack of a better term, get exploded on the TARDIS, mm-hmm. he has more than one eye. He has two. I didn't even notice that. Yes, he has two eyes. And they're closed, but there's two eyes. And it looks like... A melted face or something almost, you know. And uh, so you know that they're not the same as the Daleks that we saw before. Yeah. Rather than sort of using humans as a, a host for, you know, a sort of a Dalek virus that takes over them and mutates them. And that we saw with the Sixth Doctor. This is, you know, taking only the, the highest quality Dalek genetic material from humans. And creating Daleks out of that. Yeah, and then making them basically brainwashed to be Daleks. Right. The Doctor realizes that these Daleks have been driven insane because they've now been talking about, you know, worshipping the Dalek Emperor as a god. And it's just bizarre and creepy to hear the Daleks say things like that. 
So realizing what he's really, truly up against, the Doctor leaves the Dalek ship and returns to Floor 500 on the game station, and he and Jack basically begin preparation for what is about to happen. The Doctor orders the programmers that are there to turn up the transmitters. The Daleks can't transmat on board the station. Linda is still on board. She has decided to stick around, even though the rest of the station was supposed to be evacuated. Oh, and there's... For some reason, there's still about 100 people on board on floor zero, including Roderick, who's down there trying to find where his money is for winning The Weakest Link. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the way he played that character was uh, both very well done and very irritating at the same time, because he literally only cared about whether or not he survived, didn't care about anybody else surviving, and then all he wanted was, what can I get out of this now that I'm still living? Exactly. And he's actually the one that speaks out against Captain Jack's pleas for help, you know. Yeah, exactly. Captain Jack ends up going down there to try and recruit people to help fight off the Daleks when they board. He's got a small handful of people. Most of them are too either too concerned about the situation or don't believe the situation and don't. A lot of them think that the Daleks are just myths and legends from the past, you know. Right. Which is kind of interesting considering that the Daleks are technically from the future. But the, the, the thing about this, though, is that to, to these people, the Daleks probably would be like legends because this would have been after the Dalek invasion of Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this would have been something that they had maybe heard about happening years and years and years and years before. And after the Earth had been rebuilt, which... You know, already know that that goes back to Susan being part of the crew that helped rebuild the Earth and the whole nine yards. And mm -hmm. um, so this would have been, oh wow! When you start thinking about the timeline, it, it kind of hundreds of thousands of years later, almost. Yeah, but when you start thinking about the timeline, it really kind of it gets interesting because if you think about it, you know, we talked about uh, with the Fifth Doctor, we talked about there being Dalek agents left on Earth mm -hmm. that happened prior to the Dalek invasion of Earth which would have helped the Daleks to invade the Earth right. in the first place, yes. which would have then set the Earth up to have to rebuild prior to all of this taking place later in the timeline. It's, it's just kind of interesting when you start laying it all out in a, in a kind of a, uh, a, I guess, a flowchart or whatever <laughs> and seeing how all this fits together, you know. Yeah, it's very, it's very odd, very interesting, though. The Doctor does have a plan to deal with the Daleks. However, it... Delta wave that he wants to create normally takes three days. They've got 22 minutes before the Dalek fleet is upon them. Jack is setting up defenses and everything and has inserted so that the Daleks will have to enter five floors down. Well, technically six because they've got the top five floors defended. Rose sticks around to help the doctor out. Jack kisses both Rose and the doctor goodbye. Yes, Jack, Jack <laughs> steals a kiss from the doctor. Which is really interesting to see because the doctor didn't even react, you know. He was just like, okay. Right. <laughs> Linda has been set up at a console station to help be Jack's eyes and ears, tracking the Daleks' movements throughout the station while he basically leads the resistance against the Daleks for when they show up. The doctor is running out of time and options with his Delta Wave. And Rose is asking basically how bad this is. And he's like, oh, it's... Very bad, very bad. Well, you get the impression that he's been calculating all of this in his head the whole time. Right. And he doesn't like the calculations that he keeps coming up with, and so he keeps trying to redo it in his head to see if he can come up with something else, and he keeps coming out with the same result. You know, And, and that is when he finally just stops 
and just stands there like, I don't know what to do. Right. And because the numbers that he's running in his head are so bad, the doctor essentially tricks Rose on board the TARDIS and says, oh, hold that lever. I'll be right back. I need to grab something. He races out the TARDIS, closing the door behind him, turns around to face the TARDIS and very solemnly activates the sonic screwdriver, which activates the TARDIS and sends it hurtling back towards the 21st century with Rose inside. And that's the first time you've seen the Doctor do that as well mm-hmm. uh, with the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was really nice. This is what we basically find out at this point. When the Doctor was talking about it taking three days to do this, he wasn't exactly talking about it taking three days to do the simple process of making it work. Right. He was talking about it taking three days to do the process in a way that won't kill everybody. Right. To do it in a way that only the Daleks will die and not the humans. So basically it's going to be a giant shotgun blast that just takes everybody out rather than a precise shot. And it puts him right back in the same situation that he found himself in during the time war. Exactly. Where he says, okay, if I make this choice, not only do the, you know, not only do the Daleks die, not only does my enemy die, but everybody else dies too. Mm -hmm. And he's already been through this once and he's already made his choice, at least as far as he remembers, he's already made this choice once. And so in his mind, it's probably easier to make it the second time being that he's already made it once, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because in his mind, the ends justify the means. Right. Because he starts telling Jack, well, there's colonies out there. There's there's uh, uh, explorers on other planets. The, the, the human race will go on. Right. And it's like he's trying to justify it to himself more than he's trying to justify it to Jack. Right. Exactly. Uh, and Jack's just like, okay, we're going to go through this. And... Rose is not happy with the Doctor for basically sending her out of harm's way, even when his hologram shows up to tell her what exactly is going on and that this likely means he is dead or will be dead soon. And he basically tells her through the hologram to live a good life. And the TARDIS lands in London during her present day and refuses to respond to her to take her back. When he's talking to Rose in the hologram, that is another great doctor speech, too. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's talking about just lock the door and leave the TARDIS and let it die. Right. And it, it will end up being just this odd little thing that people walk past on the street corner and they'll never notice it. And the world will go on, basically, is what he says. And so, you know, I could honestly since we've seen all these other incarnations of the doctor and everything when he was saying that i was having a very difficult time fighting off seeing peter capaldi saying these words uh because it sounds so similar in its tone and everything to the speech that we got to see him do uh last season uh when he was talking to the uh of the zygons okay yes when, when he was when he was you know having his speech uh in the zygon invasion zygon inversion it's like the the wording and the and the tone and everything is, you know, it, it felt like something that Peter Capaldi could could pull off and say, you know, and so I was having a difficult time not seeing his face and hearing his voice say these words, even though I was honestly uh, having a lot of feels watching Christopher Eccleston <laughs> say these words at the same time, you know. Right. Uh, this this 
I, I, I was telling Jason um, yesterday uh, when, when I watched these episodes again, I said, now I realize the reason why uh, I kept putting off watching these episodes is because they hit such an emotional nerve for me when I went back and watched them. Uh, it was like... I don't know if I want to experience this emotion all over again, you know, because it, every single time I watch these episodes, it just hits me, you know, right in the feels every single time, you know? Um, yeah. And we've got more feels coming <laughs> through pre-invasion contact. The doctor learns that the Daleks haven't been the ones behind bad wolf being shown up through history. Uh, which confuses the Doctor even more. Uh, Rose, Mickey, and Jackie all reunite on Earth. And Jackie and Mickey are trying to persuade Rose to get on with her life, but she can't let it go. This is when she sees Bad Wolf scrawled in sidewalk chalk across a cement basketball court uh, at a park, and then starts seeing it in the graffiti all over the place, You know, telling her that this isn't a warning, it's a message, a message that she shouldn't give up. And so she tries to get into the part of the TARDIS, which is telepathic, so that she can convince it to take her back to the Doctor. She just doesn't realize what else is in there. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Mickey's car is not strong enough to open the hatch. Well, it's like a pregnant roller skate. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's this tiny, itty-bitty little car. You know, I think I brought this up before. He's got this little, tiny little car that looks like a Fiat or a, a Mini Cooper or something. Little, tiny car. And he's just spinning the wheels on this car to the point where you literally expect them to explode. You know, and... <laughs> And it's just not even phasing the TARDIS at all, no. you know. <laughs> Jackie tries one more time to convince Rose that it's okay to not go back. And Rose retorts saying, you know, Dad wouldn't say that, and reveals to her mother that she met her father. Yeah. Which, you know, is sort of a shock and hits Jackie awkwardly and sideways, and she just sort of, yells at Rose to stop and dashes out the TARDIS. Yeah. Um, um, and, that, and it's that scene, kind of... That scene between Rose yeah. and her mom talking about Dad, that one hit me, too. Because yeah, she's talking be about how good the Doctor is. Because she says that he's the best man she's ever known. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I got a little bit on the weepy side when uh, when she started uh, talking to her mom about the doctor and and the fact that he had allowed her to see her father. Right. Which was that that was a good episode too. You know, there's a lot of episodes that we're not talking about yet that you guys need to go back and watch because they're really really good episodes. Yeah. The Daleks invade the game station and while most of them head up towards where the resistance and the doctor is, some also head down to floor 0 and massacre Roderick and everyone else yeah. down there. Uh, Roderick is, you know, of course, dumbfounded, declaring that they shouldn't exist. This isn't possible. Where's his money? Ag. You See, know. now this, to me, the tone and, and the way that this was filmed and everything, to me, this almost felt like a callback to the Dalek invasion of Earth. Because if you'll remember those scenes where they're hiding behind the wall and stuff, and you never see the Daleks killing people, but you hear the Daleks killing people, and you yeah. like hear the guy running away, and he's like, no, 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 please, and you hear them killing him and everything. Yeah. That, 
all of that was done off screen. Right. And this was the same scenario. All of that was done off screen and it was all done with dialogue and everything. And so to me, that was kind of a little bit of a callback to that, you know, because you could do just as much with the scene without everybody having to see every single shot. Right. And the defenses on the various levels, uh, really aren't having much effect on the Daleks at all. The only no. one that has any reasonable amount of effect is the android, which blasts three Daleks before its head is shot off. Which was fun to watch. It was. It was fun. <laughs> you are the to sleep. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> it was like, yes! And then, dead android. The guns aren't having any effect. The resistance fighters are being massacred. It's not even close. And soon, all that's left is basically Jack and Linda, and the Daleks are trying to cut through the door to get to her when another Dalek squad shows up outside the window. Yeah, which was something that was kind of new in things that we hadn't really seen before or done in like classic series. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was like, okay, we're going to show you something classic and now we're going to show you something you never seen before. And now we're going to show you something classic and now we're going to show you something you never seen before. So it was really a really nice blending, you know? So yeah. you felt like that you felt like that you were kind of moving into new territory, but it was still familiar at the same time. Right. Because the cutter, the, the arm and everything that you saw cutting through the door was was right out of the original Daleks storyline with the first Doctor. Right. The cutter arm was very similar. And while you see the Daleks hovering outside the window of the space station, uh, you can't hear them, but you see the lights flash. Exterminate! And then they blast open the window, of course, you know, killing... Spacing the, her, basically. Yeah, spacing uh, Linda with a Y. Which, hmm, where have we seen that before? Well... Uh, yeah. Dalek's master plan? Yeah. So that was another callback to that. Uh, the the exception being we didn't see this one on screen. We we uh, we got to see the before, uh, but not the after. And then, basically, Jack is the last one. He's doing a fighting retreat and uses up all his ammo. The Daleks are just pursuing him. They're not firing back at him. And then he stands there and takes a shot in one final act of defiance. It is at yes. that moment... Some people would have saved a bullet, if you know what I mean. Right. <laughs> but not Jack. No. Nope. He's, not, he's not that kind of guy. No. You know? <laughs> and it is at that moment that the Doctor gets his Delta Ray online. It can be used. Of course, as we said, it will kill everyone on Earth if he activates it. Back in the 21st century, Rose and Mickey are trying to discover what to do next when Jackie drives around the corner in a heavy-duty recovery vehicle that she's borrowing uh, from Rodrigo, who was her favor. Um, don't ask why. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I caught that, too. Don't ask why. <laughs> and due to the heavier chain and the greater horsepower of the recovery vehicle, they are able to pop open the hatch on the TARDIS console so that Rose can look into the heart of the TARDIS. As soon as she does that, though, the doors slam shut and the TARDIS dematerializes before Mickey and Jackie can do anything, and they're left standing there on the sidewalk. And the whole time that this is going on, you see that golden, smoky essence just kind of billowing into Rose, you right. know, com- coming out of the TARDIS. Right. The Doctor is now surrounded by Daleks, 
and is goaded by the Dalek Emperor to use the Delta Wave because the Dalek Emperor does not think he will use it. But he's right. The Doctor admits that he's a coward and can't do it. Honestly, though, I think the reason why he couldn't bring himself to do it is because he had been through it once before. Yeah. You know? And and I think that even though he believed it would be easier to do it the second time, I think that he realized that I can't do this twice. Right. You know? Right. And he's just lost everybody that was fighting for him. And so he even says, maybe it's time. You know, maybe it's time for mm-hmm. him to die. And as the Daleks are getting ready to exterminate him, we hear the groan of the TARDIS. It lands, and Rose steps out. Well, not really Rose. We have the bad wolf yeah. who steps out. It's basically Rose's body being taken over by the heart of the TARDIS. It's almost like Jean Grey with the Phoenix from X-Men, mm-hmm. you know, because it's Jean Grey's body, but it's like a different entity right. taking taking that body over. And, and it's kind of interesting. This is the first time I noticed this, by the way, uh, because I just had always taken it for granted that when Rose comes out the door, she walks over to the doctor. Mm-mm. And that's not what happens. Nope. She dematerializes and reappears next to him. Yep. You know, and I didn't catch that before. And, and I've seen this episode a lot, you know, but that's the first time it ever clicked with me that that's what she had done. Uh, because it's there's so much light and everything going on in the scene that you you can't overlook it if you're not paying close enough attention, right. you know. And uh, so when that happens, that is when the doctor almost loses his composure, mm-hmm. you know, because <laughs> he says, uh, "Something not right here." Yeah, <laughs> this is not right. Um, she's looked into the time vortex, and the doctor is saying that something no one is supposed to see. Rose doesn't really, or Bad Wolf doesn't seem to really care. She scatters the word Bad Wolf throughout time mm-hmm. and space as a message to herself. She creates herself at Bootstrap Paradox much. Well, now, when she said, I create myself, honestly, that one line made me think about when we see her again. When we see Bad Wolf again? Yes, because that made me feel like, okay, even though... This is Rose's physical form. When she said, I create myself, that made me think that she could have been creating herself anywhere else in time and space where she could continue on and not necessarily still have to be Rose. Does that make sense? Okay. Which would be the reason why you could see her later on uh, when we see her again. Well, well, we'll get to that eventually. The 50th anniversary special. Right. But... When she says, I create myself, it's basically, you know, the bootstrap paradox where she creates the uh, the circumstances that lead to Rose looking into the time vortex to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. It's what I took it as. I, mean, I, I could see it both ways, you know. Nope. That's just the first thing popped into my head whenever, whenever I saw that, you know. Gotcha. But uh, she begins to basically unmake the Daleks. She divides their entire beings atom by atom molecule by molecule and disperses them essentially throughout time and space and you know causes them to become dust and resurrects Captain Jack yeah but she doesn't exactly know what she's doing and this is what gives Captain Jack his immortality yeah she's basically ensured that Jack can't die ever ever again but it doesn't 
well, spoilers, it doesn't last forever. Right. But it lasts for a really long time. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the Daleks are destroyed. And Rose Bad Wolf is hesitant to give up the power that she has. Uh, and the doctor says it's enough. It's time to relinquish it. And she can't cope with it. Her head hurts. And knowing that the power is going to kill her, the doctor basically sacrifices himself by pulling her close. And through kissing her, begins to absorb the time vortex into himself before releasing it back into the TARDIS. You kind of got the impression, though, that he'd been wanting to do that anyway. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> the Doctor then gets Rose on board the TARDIS, and they leave without Jack, um, who looks rather pained by that. Yeah, they didn't know that, well, Rose didn't have any memory of it, and the Doctor thought Jack was still dead. So Maybe. they had no reason to look for him right. at that point. As Rose is going, oh, that was a great adventure, you know, sort of thing, and trying to figure out and remember exactly what happened. The doctor says that he was going to take her so many places, and, well, maybe he will, but just not like this. And Rose doesn't understand what's going on. And this, of course, where we're introduced to, you know, the new series is introduced to the yeah. idea of regeneration. The doctor goes into his explanation of what regeneration is. And that basically it's, you know, an entirely new body mannerisms and everything takes his place. It's almost like he's being replaced, just with the same memories and everything. Yeah, he, he tells her, not with this daft old face, which is not the exact same words that you would hear later on from uh, John Hurt, but it's sort of the same feel, you know. Uh, especially kind of interesting, I thought, uh, that he never really even from the first episode of this season, he never really acted like he liked his face. Right. Uh, right. I, I thought that was kind of interesting, especially when he's sitting there playing with his ears and stuff, you know, mm. in the mirror. Right. Um, Look at the ears. Big, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th I thought that was kind of fun, you know. And then, of course, we get the great final line from the Ninth Doctor. Before I go, I just want to tell you, you were fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But you know what? So was I. Yeah. He gives one last grin, and then, boom, regeneration happens right in front of Rose. Yeah. And David Tennant appears in a coat that's too large for him, mentions something about new teeth, and then goes, oh, that's right, Barcelona. <laughs> and that's it. Episode over. Good night, guys. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was bittersweet for me because uh, it was I mean you talk about mixed emotions it was like okay I'm happy to see ten back <laughs> but I'm sad to see nine go you know and at that point you know when you first watch this the very first time you have absolutely no idea who uh, David Tennant's doctor is going to be or, or anything like that you know mm -hmm. especially Americans I don't think Americans at that time probably even knew who David Tennant was for the most part you know no and so he's a completely fresh face over here and uh, you know I thought that he sort of felt like a complete shift in almost a completely different direction, you know, because he was so different from Eccleston, you know, in just about every way. And and it was almost, almost the same scenario for me seeing that transition 
as it was seeing the transition from Tom Baker to Peter Davison, because, you know, there was such a staunch difference between those two actors as well. And so I, I, when I first saw this, I was a little bit hesitant to say, okay, I like the choice because like I said, when I was a kid, I felt the same way. I was like, okay, they're so different. I don't know if I like this or not, you know? And, and, and it was one of those scenarios with the fifth doctor where I kind of had to watch a few episodes for him to grow on me because he was so different from the fourth doctor, you know? But then when I, when I went back this time and saw it with all the foreknowledge and everything that we have, I was like, Hey, it's 10 back, you know? And, and so it was a completely different feeling. But when the first time you watched that, it's such a departure from what you've been watching that you almost don't know how to feel, you know? Yeah, it is. And of course we, we're not given any chance to really know what to do no. with David Tennant in this episode and saying goodbye to nine. Yeah. It's, it's bittersweet. Chris Freckleson is a great incarnation of the doctor. And well, he, he, he almost for me, visually not not in any other way really but visually he almost uh is reminiscent for me of the fourth doctor because he's got that really big grin and you know that kind of hooked nose and and everything and so you know i kind of you know when he makes that big smile to me that reminds me of the fourth doctor smile you know yeah um and so uh yeah it I think that that familiarity is what made me fall in love with the ninth doctor from the beginning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead and give our ratings on this story. How many Daleks would you give bad wolf and parting of the ways? Oh dear God. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I said last time that I, I might have liked that last episode better than this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going back and watching this one again and having all the feels and, and everything and, you know, honestly, I think I might, this one might edge out the other one just a little bit for me. Um, not completely, but at least enough that, that I'm willing to give it a nine as well, you know? Okay. So can give this so, one a- Oh man, there's so much packed into these two episodes. Um, oh, tell me about it. <laughs> Compared to the last one, especially because the last one was such a simplified storyline. Right. And Although this that's... one was so much more complex. Yeah. Uh, however, I almost wish the Daleks had been introduced a little bit earlier in the story. Because uh, we get the, the traditional Dalek reveal at the end of the first episode mm-hmm. uh, you know, that we got with the classic series. And they even used that introduction sort of the same way they did with the first Doctor, you know, where you don't see the sucker arm, but you see through the Dalek's eye. Right. And it's sort of the same type of introduction for the episode. Yeah, it is. But I wish the Daleks were a little bit more involved earlier on because there was just so much that we had to get through. I felt like there was probably a little bit too much time spent in the games at the beginning of the first episode. I could see it, but they were building the mystery, though. They were. Know? They were, which, you know, I, I can see and concede that point, but I, I think, in my opinion, I would have liked a little less of the games, a little more of the Daleks. That being said, I'm going to go ahead and give this two-parter uh, an eight. That's fair. Um, yeah, mainly because, you know, I love I love nine, and I love, you know, 
all the feels that we felt uh, during. <laughs> so. I take it I wasn't the only one that teared up a couple of times. Uh, tearing up, uh, <laughs> not really, but I was definitely feeling the feels. Uh, <laughs> so, it's like, oh. yeah. So I, I I had to wipe my eyes a couple of times, uh, just to be honest about it. You know, of course. Remember, this is the guy who you know basically binge watched <laughs> the first five seasons of you know the new series of Doctor Who in the space of a month and a half. So I don't didn't really have the time to you know develop the long term connections with some of these doctors. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, I've I've only watched the Ninth Doctor season about eight times, so you know. <laughs> well. <laughs> Anything else before we we start wrapping up this episode? Uh, kind of looking forward to our next one. That's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our next one when we when we see the tenth Doctor uh, and Rose go up against the Daleks and Cybermen. Yes, we're gonna they start doing this. They start doing this uh, during the new series. They start pitting you know a whole bunch of our of our villains together in, in episodes. It's like oh, that's interesting. <laughs> And guys, what we're intending to do with this, uh, because we know that this has both the Cybermen and the Daleks in it, we will eventually go back and discuss all the Cybermen episodes and everything. We're going to do this, uh, this, this next discussion talking about more of the Dalek involvement and, and everything in that episode. Mm-hmm. And, and then we will come back later once we do our, our episodes with the Cyberman, and we will talk about the episodes again at some point in the future, but kind of swing it a little bit more in the other direction. Yeah, focus more and, on the and, Cyberman. And, and make it different so that you're not listening to the exact same episode again. Right. Okay. Uh, so that will be our next episode, so that'll be fun, um, and also full of the feels as we say goodbye to Rose. <laughs> Spoilers. You know. <laughs> Until then, if you want to get involved with the show and uh, interact with us, please do so on our social media, which is uh, facebook.com slash talking time lords. You can always tweet us at, at talking time lord or email us at talking time lords at gmail.com. Our website, where you can find links to all of our social media as well as links to each and every one of our previous release episodes, is talkingtimelords.com. We do want to give you a little bit of an update, folks. Uh, we have gotten some stuff fixed with our, uh, our feed. On iTunes, uh, particularly, I, I don't know about the other places because I get my podcast through iTunes, but our feed on iTunes is fixed, so all of our episodes are available for download on our iTunes page, not just the last six, which is what it's been for a while. So uh, episode one through episode you know, 43 is now available on iTunes, but we'd also encourage you to go to our website because we got some fun art for each of the episodes on there. All right, well... Thank you, everybody, so much for listening to this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 43, Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways Story Review. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream fantastic dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts or visit patreon.com slash to help support the shows.